we're back. Actually, I'm not back at all. He's back. Um, I'm just reading. Chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 15. Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own. For then he would have to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, after that comes judgment. So Christ having been offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We want to look at the three appearances of Christ in the passage. And the three appearances of Christ deal with three subjects. It deals why Christ appeared the first time and is primarily to take care of the sin problem. The sin problem. And you're going to find it one of the bloodiest chapters in the Bible. People don't like Christianity. It's too bloody. They wouldn't like Judaism. It's too bloody. And they like a bloodless kind of religion. There's no such thing that saves then we'll look at his second appearing that's mentioned in the passage, his appearing not on the cross to deal with sin, but his appearing not in an earthly copy, but in the true sanctuary of God. He is entered by means of his blood into 
the heavenly sanctuary and is doing something he never did for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Isaiah. He began it after his resurrection, and it's going on now. The high priest is in the Holy of Holies representing his people. He's there now. And then he concludes that he's not only doing that, but he will appear again the second time. And uh, so we want to begin and look at the reason he came. He's contrasting in chapter 9 the first high priest having to do with Israel, the copy of the true ministry that he is carrying on in heaven. And so he goes through there, blood, blood, blood. Let me set the stage. This is written to the book, this is called the book of Hebrews. Does this mean it was written to the Irish pub? Hebrews. Any Hebrews out there? Any of you know Leviticus 17? I thought so. Any of you know Exodus 12? I thought so. Exodus 12, Passover, still celebrated today. Leviticus 17, Yom Kippur, celebrated today. It was a part of the whole background of the Jewish people. They knew the language of blood. They knew the language of sacrifices. They knew that without a Passover lamb to cover them, there was no escape from Egypt. That was a part of their whole tradition, still is. The Day of Atonement, a strange day in which a, uh, really Leviticus 16, you would have the high priest of the nation. Let's take Aaron. On that day, he would kill a bull for his own sins. The high priest knew he was a sinner and had to be cleansed. He killed a bull. Then he killed a goat, and he took the goat for the nation, sprinkled it on the altar. So there's two sacrifices. After that, they figured the high priest was on duty about five hours on the Day of Atonement because of the sacrifices. Then they would take a second goat, and he would confess over it all the sins of the nation. That was known as the scapegoat because as you read Leviticus 16, they would appoint a man to take the scapegoat and take them into the land of Azazel, A-Z-A-Z-E-L. The land of Azazel was a hideaway land. It was believed to be a rocky, rocky land because in Jewish thought, they were hoping the animal would trip and crush themselves to death because they did not want that goat to find its way back to camp. It was symbolic. You're taking away the sin of the nation. We're, you're our scapegoat. You're burying it. There was another myth in rabbinic literature that said it was the land of demons. It was an evil land wherever it was going. We send our sins to the land of demons, never to come back again. And so all of this ritual went on. So we come to the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, we're getting rid of all this Old Testament practice. No more lambs, no more bulls, no more of that. Verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself 
without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Verse 18, therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood, for which every commandment of the law had been declared. He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet, and he offers it. This is the blood of the covenant. Then he winds up in verse 22. For you see, Old Testament religion said nothing could be forgiven. Nothing could be cleansed without blood. Like it or not, the approach to God was through blood. Now, let me explain. I've said it before, but I want to make it clear. Blood is a symbol to us of the violent death of Christ. The blood plasma isn't what saves. There's a lot of mythical thinking about his blood. If his blood was to drop on you, let's say at the cross, it would save you. No, 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 no. Blood plasma doesn't save. The blood is shorthand for death. Now, watch this. It's not death by old age. It's not death because the lamb got sick. It was death because the lamb had the juggler slit, and it came to represent violent death, a life taken in death. So when we speak of the blood of Christ saves, we're saying the violent death of Christ on the cross saves, not blood plasma. And we take communion today. We're not drinking blood. And we're not re-crucifying Christ, as the Catholic Mass says. We put him to death in every Mass, and without the Mass, you cannot have your sins atoned for. No, we believe in a once-for-all sacrifice forever settled. One. One. And so we're not going to drink blood, and we don't celebrate when I say, I'm washed in the blood. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Does that mean, you know, as a kid, I thought, whoo, that's a little gruesome, but I guess if that's what it takes, uh, I'll do it. No, I'm washed as a benefit of the death of the Lamb. I want you to track with me. We gave you enough coffee not to be glazed over. We serve glazed out donuts. No, blood equals the violent death of the Son of God. The cross. Now, to those who don't like blood, I was hoping you'd be here. Let me give you just a little brief. That I found 18 things it says about the blood of Christ. Listen to this. Matthew 20, 28, he offered his blood as a ransom. The releasing price, a ransom was to release upon receipt of a payment. I'll release you if somebody pays the ransom. His blood was the ransom. The church was purchased with the blood of Christ. Acts 20, 28. See, if you don't like God's church, it's because you didn't pay anything to get it to come about. You don't have any investment. Go tell Christ what's wrong with the church. It'd be like you telling my mother what's wrong with her five kids. You better get ready. She's full-blooded Irish. She'd tell you off. It's none of your business. And you go start telling Jesus, I don't like your church. 
He said, I bought the church with my own blood, even the cranky members. I bought them all. I got, I've got an investment. Maybe you don't. He does. Romans 3.25, faith in his blood saves. Romans 5.9, we're justified by his blood. Communion, he said, partake of the blood and the bread, 1 Corinthians 10.16, and you share the partnership with God by means of the blood of Christ. And I take that blood by means of his violent death for my sins. I'm now a partner with God. 10.16. The new covenant is in his moral teaching, is in the Sermon on the Mount. Is, well, he's a perfect model. No, it's in his violent death for a guilty sinner such as I. goes on, redemption came by his blood, Ephesians 1, 7, Colossians 1. We were made nigh to God by the blood of Christ, Ephesians 2, 13. We have peace with God based upon the blood of Christ, Colossians 2, 10. Christ secured us with something far better than animal blood. The high priest had to bring a life, had to bring an animal's blood. Our high priest said, the sacrifice I offer is myself. Because you see, I know how to walk out of the grave in three days. So I can lay down my life. High priest couldn't do that. So, keep showing. We were deemed by the precious blood of Christ, not silver and gold, 1 Peter 1.18. Christ's blood keeps cleansing me from every form of sin, 1 John 1.7. It's still working. I'm redeemed by his blood in Re Revelation 5.9. Revelation 1.5, he loosed us from our sins by his blood. They overcame the dragon by the blood of the Lamb. By the violent death of their Savior, they overcame the dragon during the tribulation. This is interesting. When Christ comes back, remember he has no wife to help him get dressed in the morning. My wife wouldn't let me do this. He, he puts on his vestment the symbol of blood. I want you to know I'm coming back to conquer my enemies because I already conquered sin at the cross and I'm not ashamed of my death and I will come back and seize the earth but I want them to see I died a violent death to be king of kings and lord of lords and it will be on his vestment wardrobe. Blood. If you don't believe in the blood, you're not going to heaven. And be a sophisticated moralism. All religions profess to get you to heaven. And it's a series of good works and moralisms. That's why when we teach Christianity, don't start by teaching them all the rules. You've got to act this way to be a Christian. You've got to act that. You've got to put your faith in what Christ has done, not what you can do. It's what he has done that's saving me, not what I'm doing. He saves. And it's based on his death. His resurrection. You see, I didn't have to do anything to become a son. Nothing. We were just talking in the deacon's prayer meeting today. That thief got to heaven without one offering. 
How dare God save a man without an offering? God dare, what reform did he make? And just think another, a murderer got off that day who should have been on the middle cross by the name of Barabbas, but the Savior took his place too. If you got what you deserved, you wouldn't be in heaven. But if you can just do like a thief and say, I know I'm not going to get there based on what I've been doing. I want to trust the man on the middle cross. By means of his violent death in your place as your substitute. And this is what the first part is saying. He has appeared in these last days. And let's get it. He says, he has appeared in verse 26 once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's his first appearance. Well, that's been over 2,000 years ago. Let's look at his second appearance. Look at verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself just to hang out. No, 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 watch. Now to appear in the presence of God on. Now, who is the hour? You remember in John 17, I pray not for the world. I pray for my own. The world doesn't have a high priest. The world doesn't have an intercessor. They don't have an advocate. You've got to come through his violent death to get a high priest that lives for you. What have you done with his cross work? But he says, for his people, he is now appearing before... Let's, let's take the picture of the Old Testament. We got the high priest, the day of Yom Kippur, 14th day of Nisan, on the Jewish calendar, and he walks in there, threat of his life. He may not come out alive, so they eventually, the rabbis tell us, tied ropes around them in case they were killed, and they could drag them underneath the curtain and uh, said uh, he didn't make it. He, he wasn't clean before God to represent the people. But when he's in there, and he's wearing this vestment of these 12 tribes, and he's before the mercy seat. He's representing the people. Now, now let's think. Do you think he individually could represent approximately 3 million people? I don't think so. I can't remember all your names, and you're not quite 3 million. So it was corporate. It was corporate representation. Uh, I'm representing the corporate nation. That's the symbol. Now, let's take our high priest, Christ. Do you think he's up there before the Father in the true sanctuary saying, well, I don't know exactly the names of those I'm representing, but I'm here. My sheep know my voice, and I know them by name. So when he's interceding for you, it's not, Lord, bless the glob at Valley Bible. He represents us individually. 
Every person who has accepted his violent death as the payment for their sin have got a full-time intercessor. Have you had people die in your life that the biggest thing you've missed about the thought of them is you knew they prayed? Us kids always felt that way about my sister. She always was praying for us and the grandchildren, the nieces. She was that way. She was just a gal of prayer. And I, she'd tell you, I prayed for you today, and I did this. And when they passed, she said, who's going to replace those kind of prayer warriors in your life? Well, just think, God the Son is appearing in the presence of God right now for you. On behalf of you, and when we read Scripture, we read 725 of Hebrews. It says, he ever lives to make intercession for us to save us to the uttermost. Or let's take Romans 8. When the devil wants to convince God to cancel your salvation, he, he would be doing fine if there was no high priest up there representing you. And he comes up says, I cancel them out. How could they know God? How could David have been your man and done what he did? And how can you be calling yourself a Christian and do what you've done? And I'm not talking about Psalms 51. I'm talking about what you did last week. Maybe this morning on the way to church. That's why some of you come in late. You know you had a spat. <laughs> Every one of you come in late. We know they're fighting. You better learn to get here early. Are you a true representation of what a Christian ought to be? Sometimes. Some days. Not in everything. I actually sin twice a year. That's just illustration. But you've got Christ there intercepts satanic accusation against you. And Romans 8 says, how can the one interceding for you fall in with the devil's accusation against you? I'm here to defend them, not that they didn't do it, but that I paid for it. He's not saying, oh, they didn't do it. They're, they're nearly perfect. No, they, no, that's why I died. I didn't die for their good traits. I died for their sins. And, and I'm ever living, according to 1 John, the blood of Christ is continually cleansing us. I had a man today talk to me. He says, what do you do about uh, sinful dreams? I said, I would confess it to the Lord and let the blood of Christ begin to scrub out your subconscious. Have you ever had a dream you did something in there that you never did in your life? And you thought, who in the world came up with that? You ought to confess that to the, the Lord. Hopefully, they, uh, see he wasn't planted, that you do. Scrub it out. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. Have you ever had a cleansing bath? My mother would come and examine me, I'm the baby. Did you wash your hair? Yeah. You know, I'm in there playing the boat, little kid now. Anybody ever had your hair washed with the bar soap? This is before palm olive, children's soap. Stop it, stop it, Mom. I won't be bald. But you'll be clean. She knew how to cleanse you. 
But Jesus is living right now, right now before God the Father. You don't know this. You may not believe it. You're clean. You're accepted. You got heaven made. Did you know that? If you've accepted his violent death for your sins and that he's a living Savior, you got it made. Don't, don't get haughty about it. You got it made, though. We're not going to heaven on probation. I'm going to heaven on the sure promise. I took care of it. I'll get you there. I'll get you there. Even you can make it. Even you, because of what he did and what he is doing. So he's my advocate. He actually defends me when I'm wrong. Once again, he doesn't say, they didn't do it. He's a nice boy. He doesn't do any of that stuff. Say, oh, yeah, yeah, we see that. Got you covered. See, the word, when you read kafir, when you say Yom Kippur, that word Kippur in Hebrew comes from the verb kafir, which means to cover. The Passover lamb covered, blood covered. And what Christ tells his people, I've got you covered, and I'm the covering. I'm the covering. I tell you, I was talking with a bunch of relatives yesterday, and we were talking about how hard it was starting out in the Christian life in the circles we grew up with because all the rules, all the standards. And I thought, boy, I, it's one reason I held out. I knew I couldn't live that way. I knew I couldn't keep all those rules, all of that, because it wasn't clear to me he would keep me without a rule. Just the cross, just salvation by grace through faith. Well, he is now up there appearing before God for you. That's his second appearance. And then he goes on to say, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, that's the norm. You die, and then you get judged. Let me ask you this. Do Christians get judged for their sins after they die? What about this side? <laughs> Thank God. Are you going to go to judgment for your sins after you die? Why not? How many times does the state of California make you pay for the fine? I mean, the same, same offense now. I'm not talking about the second one. No. How many times do you have to pay? God doesn't demand double payment for the same crime. You, either the cross paid for it or you pay for it. And people that won't accept the cross go to hell, and hell, you never pay it off. That's why it's eternal. You can accept what Christ did in six hours and get eternal life. You can reject it and say, I'll trust myself and get hell forever. It's a choose between life and death. So he's doing that. And then he goes on to say, it, we're not necessarily facing judgment. Oh, judgment seat of Christ for my works, but not me. I, I'm, I'm in the beloved. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, third appearance, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, notice the first coming. 
He's appeared in verse 26, once for all at the end of the ages. Verse 24, he is now appearing. Verse 28, he will appear a second time. I've got some charts that just try to illustrate something that when you talk about secular history, I think of what all is going in our country in the perilous times. Things are getting worse and worse, and we know that. And I've tried to blow off steam for two weeks, and now I've got to settle down and keep doing what we've been doing, preaching the Word, relying on the Spirit, and keep meeting with God's people, and uh, let the Supreme Court uh, further corrupt and destroy the nation. And who knows the next set of politicians, what they're going to do. God knows I'm no politician. I haven't found many I could trust. Maybe Trump's going to get it. I don't know. Uh, it's on the cover of Time magazine. We'll see. Can we bring up that chart on uh, three appearances of Christ? Oh, uh, let's see. Yeah. Here, his first appearance, he's already appeared, took care of sin, the cross. Okay? Now appearing. He is appearing, interceding. He will come again. The next appearance. Now, here's something that's interesting. History for the secular mind. It goes this way, and Ecclesiastes does this. History is this way. Bring up that history line. Okay, there we go. Where is history taking us? Secular history says we're just going in circles. The only way we're not going in circles is technology. We keep inventing. But basically, we're repeating nations rise, nations fall. But history is just circular. And Ecclesiastes, what has been will be. Everything is as it was from the beginning. And so, and when you live in a secular world, and let's say, let's go to philosophy class. Says, where are we headed? Secular history class. Philosophy department. Where are, would you predict where we're going? We're headed for either nothingness, and that's relief when you don't believe in God, and when you see what a mess the world's in, to be turned into nothing is kind of a relief. I guess you've got some doomsdayers out there that would say, you know, well, for sure the Arctic is melting. We're going to you know, all be flooded any moment. Let's see. Hey, the owl's endangered. We're about to have an owlless world. Keep killing humans, but we've got to spare these owls. We know we've got them in this building. Man, I want somebody that's a good marksman. You don't, you can't. <laughs> delete that, delete it. They asked that one fellow that killed an eagle and they were arresting him. He said, Well, you, you broke the law. I want to ask you one thing What did it taste like? The guy said, the only thing I can compare it to is the California candor, or condor. He said, it's the only thing I know it tastes like. You're, you're so dull. <laughs> uh, it was brilliant if I told it right. But anyway, <laughs> what's that got to do with the sermon? I don't know. Hey, but chart, uh, put it back up. I've lost my way. Uh, well, I wasn't ready for that. Hey, go, go back to secular, but confused. Sacred history is a history of events because the prophetic word 
Second Peter 3 says they even denied there was a flood, but there was a flood. You can fly over the uh, Rocky Mountains and still find seashells up there at 10,000 feet. That's a mighty high local flood. There's, a, there's events, the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, his resurrection, and then it projects out in the future. Now we'll pick up where we think history is going. Okay, Old Testament, these events. Now, Christ appears. Did he appear? Well, that, that your religion is. Anybody know historical studies? You know, when you've got a guy in Iran that says the Holocaust didn't happen, you can revise anything. But history says a guy showed up in Palestine by the name of Jesus, and even the secular writers of the day, the Roman writers, we have a record. We got Josephus, an unsaved Jew. We've got the record. Jesus showed up. You may not believe in him. You don't buy the sacred. Well, I want to know, do you buy historic evidence? We had 500 people who died martyrs' death saying we knew the man. This isn't just we made it up. But as we see history, it's headed, and we understand the coming of Christ to be in two parts because we take 1 Thessalonians. He's going to catch the church away. And, but usually when you hear the word second coming, it's usually he's coming to the earth again. There's a contrast between the two events. Those who don't believe in it, they make them both the same event. But in the rapture, he comes for the church in the air. Uh, in the second advent, he comes with his church back to the earth. He comes back to end Armageddon. And so the rapture was a mystery. Isaiah didn't know about it. Zechariah didn't. They knew about the second coming. They wrote it in their writings. Old Testament knew he's coming again. They said it. But, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die. But some of us shall be translated in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We shall be caught up. That's a mystery. Now the Old Testament knew it. So we believe that mystery New Testament truth is a church truth. So we see the next thing on God's calendar is the catching away of the church. Any moment, any day, any time. It's a signless event. Sometimes people will read Matthew 24 and say, ooh, this has got to happen, that's got to, nothing happens for the rapture. We're just waiting for one thing. Do, 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 do. That's called the trumpet of the Lord. Come up. It's going to blow it. Come up. And we think the scriptures describe Revelation 6 through 19, a period of great tribulation. We see it coming on the earth. And here's a phrase. I just can't give a big prophecy course. He uses the phrase in 1 Thessalonians 5, the day of the Lord. He said, you've not been appointed unto the day of the Lord. You know nothing about the Old Testament until you figure out what the day of the Lord means. Day of the Lord, Isaiah 11. Isaiah 13, Zephaniah, the book of Joel. It's a day of woe. It's a day of sorrow. 
Jeremiah said it's a time of Jacob's trouble. It's all about the nations and Israel. And during that seven-year period, he's going to fulfill the last week of Daniel. He's going to judge the nations who hate him, who are trying to liquidate Israel, and he's going to put them through hell on the earth. He's going to preserve 144,000 Jews, hide them, use them, They'll flee the mark of the beast. They'll flay this Antichrist that will be unleashed on the earth. And at the end, he comes riding with the armies from heaven, Revelation 19, with his saints, us, will come back. See, those who don't see that distinction have us going up and coming right back. We don't understand it that way. He's going to come for his church, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, then this wrath, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, he's not appointed as under wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, not appointed to wrath. Revelation 3, 10, I'll deliver you from the hour of tribulation. The church has never been exempt from suffering. They've been killing us for 2,000 years. So some people say, you're a Twinkie. You don't believe in the tribulation. You think you, no, 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 no. I'm just not an object of divine wrath. If you think you are, go ahead. Have a good time. I've been exempted. Well, how you get exempted? The day of the Lord wasn't written for the church. It's Israel, the future, the nations. I'm going to the day of Christ, and the day of Christ is up there, not on the earth. And so, guess what? No matter how bad it gets on the earth, no matter how bad, us folks that have some kind of prophetic outline out there, even if you think you're going through the trib, you at least know where we're headed. There's a sense, and I grew up with it because my dad surviving the World War II, living in the Bay Area, all that, love prophecy. Us kids heard it all the time, didn't know it, didn't understand it, whatever. But there's always a sense, something's coming, something's coming, something's coming. God's in control of history. History's going somewhere. There's going to be a rendezvous. Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. He is coming again. He is coming again. I remember when I was in seminary, I had a prof that on his desk, it simply said, perhaps today. That's all it said, perhaps today. When will he come? And what Jesus keeps saying is, will you be expecting it? And notice that he will appear to those waiting for him. And the word, it's a strong word. It's used in Romans 8 of standing on tiptoes like that. That, that you, you're just, you're waiting. Imagine, what are we called in Scripture? Are we called the bride of Christ or the wife? Bride. I say that. Because the bride is looking forward to the wedding day. <laughs> Wife, she remembers the wedding day. I just heard of a man that celebrated his 50th anniversary, and uh, someone asked him, said, what did you do for your first anniversary? He said, I took my wife to China. I said, well, what did you do for the 50th? He said, I went back and picked her up. And so, you know, you, you got to have a sense of history. You got to have a, so. 
I just lost you. Forget. Uh, so, forgive me, Lord. I don't know what I'm doing here. Anyway, you got a sense of where we're going, hopefully. And don't go to China. Just, just. Now, how many of you have this map in your head at all? I mean, how many have grown up with it? See, a lot of you didn't. It might be brand new to you. And for me, and I think for those of us who have, this is called the blessed hope. That no matter how bad it gets, how dark it gets, there's, he said in Peter, the prophetic word shines like a lamp in a dark place. No matter, I got this, said, you know, that's why so many kids were saved under Hal Lindsey in the 60s. He gave them hope. I mean, come on, Timothy Leary gave us LSD. Bobby Dylan gave us blowing in the wind and get lit. We tried sex, booze, and Altamont. Hate Asbury. Said, is this it? Is this it? Is this all there is? Yeah, that is. If you don't know God, the next thing is hell. And a guy comes along and says, let me tell you what God's chart is. You can know Christ, and he's coming any moment, and you'll go to be with him. There is a sense of future. Don't trust Henry Kissinger. Don't trust the UN. Don't trust politics. This politician died on a cross and is going to be the king in the future, and this is where the world is going. It gives you hope on the darkest day. Blow up the place if they want. We're going home. Oh, is that escape? Oh, he said, well, you've got an escape mentality. Friend, I'm living in the meantime. I'm paying bills. I'm visiting people dying of cancer. I'm burying loved ones. Oh, no, I'm not escaping. I'm living with all the stuff people live with, getting old, burying loved ones. See, if you haven't buried anyone lately, keep living. You're going to. You're going to bury your parents. Will you have any hope at the cemetery? Will you see them again? I'm going to see him, and I'm going to sing the old southern song we grew up. I'll meet you in the morning by the bright riverside, next down by the tree of life. Daddy, I'll see you. Mom, I will. I ain't making this up. I will. You need hope, young man, young lady. You that are here just as our guests and don't know Christ, you need to know you can have a future that will be blessed Blessed, blessed eternally with God if you'll first of all accept his first coming. You've got to accept the first coming, his death for your sins. And then you'll get a full-time prayer warrior interceding for you, and you've got someone coming. Someone's coming. I tell you, I'm looking for him to come. Come, Lord Jesus. I had some friends, Damer Moses, and they were in town the other night. And they said, we'll be by. It's torture. They wouldn't give a time. <laughs> I had to clean the house or something. It was already clean that day. But it is something when you keep. So I just sat in the front row waiting for the car to pull up. But what was really torturous, my mother had a mom that raised 10 kids and was immaculate. Raised him on a dirt floor in the hills of Oklahoma when her husband died. Immaculate. Sometimes she said, girl, I'm coming up to see you. 
Every day us kids had to make the bed. Every day we had to. I said, man, why don't you just have them come in on Friday? We'd only get it clean one day. But we said, any day I'll be there, any day. And Jesus said, I'm coming any day. Will you be looking? Will you be ready? Do you know him? If you know him, you've got a future outline for you. Don't let this world rob you of the blessed hope. I am the bride of Christ. And, oh, Lord Jesus, I can't wait to see you. And I love the old hymn, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. He said, the bride does not look on her robe, but she looks upon her bridegroom's face. And she is longing for the day she dwells in Emmanuel land because the sands of time are sinking. Have you taken Christ as your Savior? Are you a child of God that the anxieties of the age and Fox News is making a wreck out of you? Are you saying, Jesus, I'm trusting you. You're my politician. I can trust you because you died for me. Father, if there be one here today that the Spirit of God may be painting the picture of the appearance of Christ in history and his appearance on high and his soon coming appearance, and yet they're not related to him in any of them. Maybe they've never put their faith and confidence in Christ's death on the cross. Maybe they don't have hope. That They're dreading death as I did without Christ, dreading world events, dreading the future. The future represented nothing but dismal gloom because I had no hope. But, Lord, one, one Tuesday night in 58 in South Richmond, I got hope. I got hope. My future was forever changed in a night. Forever changed. Hell was canceled. Tribulation was canceled. And I was just told, love me, serve me, obey me until you see me again. And we're trying to be that way today. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, may the spirit of the living God press these truths upon the tablet of their heart so that they exercise faith in Christ and come to know him.